It is absolutely wonderful to see you all on this Sunday after Thanksgiving. So, holidays are in full swing at this point. Cooler weather is in the air. Black Friday is behind us, and there are parts of our country that are experiencing pre-season snowstorms. Now, I can honestly tell you I have zero frame of reference for what they are going through. Um, as a guy who was born and grew up in Savannah and then lived 18 years in Las Vegas and then moved back to southwest Georgia, snowstorms have not really been a part of my life. But I can tell you the scariest moment I ever had in relation to snow. It was actually in New Mexico in April of 2014. So here's the story. Here's what happened. I actually purchased a truck in Savannah. I was driving cross country to get back to Las Vegas and I had finished the end of the day. It was probably around maybe 7, 7.30. I went into the sleepy little town of Santa Rosa, New Mexico. Sounds like something out of a Western movie. And when I got to the hotel that night, I was tired. It was about 62, 63 degrees. I went to bed and when I woke up the next morning, this is the screen that was on my phone. 18 degrees and snowing. Santa Rosa, New Mexico. Okay, now I want you to notice the days around it. Tuesday, 72 degrees. Wednesday, 77 degrees. Thursday, 64 degrees. On that morning, 18 degrees and snowing. So even though it was snowing outside, the, the roads were still moving along really well. So I got back out on the interstate. And as you might imagine, with a little bit of snow and a little bit of colder weather, everybody was being careful. The, the speed limit was 75 miles an hour, and everybody was going between maybe 65 to 70. We're just moving along. Well, about five minutes into that drive, I was in the left-hand lane. There was a tractor trailer in the right-hand lane. And we were coming up to the top of a hill. And as soon as we got to the crest of the hill, my truck hit a solid sheet of black ice. And I began to fishtail back and forth at 70 miles an hour between the left lane and the right lane in front of a tractor trailer. Now, if that's not enough, Toyota was kind enough to put this really loud alarm in the vehicle to let me know I lost control of the vehicle. And in case you're wondering, when you're fishtailing down the highway at 70 miles an hour, you do not need an alarm to tell you there's a problem in the vehicle. So not cool, Toyota, not cool at all. So the alarm is blaring. I made up a couple of verses for Jesus take the wheel at that moment. My, my truck slid off into the median and began to go up the side of the median into oncoming traffic the other direction. At the last second, God allowed the tires to grab. I pulled it back through the median, came back up on the other side in the right side of traffic. The scariest moment I've ever had in snow, right there. For the next couple of hours, I went back and forth between thanking God for keeping me safe, thinking about how close I came to a major accident, and then contemplating what could I have done differently to avoid that situation. As I look back over it, I don't know if I would have done anything differently. I've driven in snow and ice before. That, that's not an issue. 
I was well below the speed limit. I was going along with everybody else. I was paying attention, hands at 10 and 2. When you're in the snow and there's ice around, like you're grabbing that steering wheel. That's not an issue. Then I started thinking, well, did I actually miss any caution signs or road signs that said, like, watch out, danger ahead, black ice, uh, frozen roads? Like, I looked back, I was like, there was none of those. And that was the scary thing for me. The danger was right in front of me, and I couldn't see it at all. Hold that thought. We are coming out of Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving, historically, is a time that people think about the blessings of their life. They're grateful for what they have. But here's the thing. When we're coming out of Thanksgiving, it can be very easy for us to miss some of those initial signs of ingratitude. Did you know ingratitude is dangerous? It is dangerous to your mindset. It is dangerous to your attitude. It is dangerous to your character. It is dangerous to your reputation. It is dangerous to your relationships. And gratitude is one of those things that it hides in everyday situations and it is virtually undetectable until you're right in the middle of it. All it takes is a moment of comparison, a lingering thought of entitlement, not receiving maybe the recognition that you think you were, you were due and you can veer off the path of gratitude and find yourself in the oncoming dangers of ingratitude. Today, we're going to study a text where Jesus begins to address some of the underlying issues that come with ingratitude. And one of the things to me that's exciting about this text is I never saw these coming. And that's a great thing. When you read the word of God and you think you know where the story's going and the story doesn't go where you think it's going, that's exciting to me because he's unearthing something in humanity that we all need to take note of. So I invite you at this time to go with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter number 17. Luke 17 will be in verses 11 through 19. And I'm speaking this morning on the side of remembering to be grateful. It's one thing that we see the dangers of ingratitude, but I don't want us to end on a negative side. I want us to see the issue, but I want it to move towards the positive side of things. How can we move this towards a life of gratitude? So remembering to be grateful is the title of the message. Here's what the text says, starting in verse number 11. It says, while he, speaking of Jesus, was on his way to Jerusalem. He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. They raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. As they were going, they were cleansed. Verse 15, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. By the way, stop, stop. By the way, when God delivers you from much, you're vocal about much. There is nothing wrong with shouting and praising God, not only in life, but also in church. It needs to be when the people of God come together, you can say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. It should be that there is a loudness in our appreciation and gratefulness to God. 
So it goes on from there, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, please allow us to see the lessons that you're desiring for us to learn and to live based on this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's the broad view of what's going on. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he is somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. He enters into this village that remains nameless. While in the village, 10 men with leprosy, they see Jesus and they call out to him, Jesus, master, have mercy on us, found in verse number 13. Now, Jesus recognized their physical state and he responded by saying, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, pause right there. That seems strange for us today. Like if you're sick, you probably are not gonna have a friend of yours say, go and show yourself to the pastor. Okay, more like go and show yourself to a doctor. Please take yourself somewhere else. Uh, Like we say other things, but probably not go show yourself to a pastor. But what's happening here is they're literally following the practice associated with the Mosaic law. Uh, Over in Leviticus chapter 14, if a person had been deemed unclean because of illness, impurity, what they touched or where they'd been, they were to present themselves to the priest for inspection. This was to happen at the end, the the end where they believe they're clean, they believe they're pure, they believe they're ready to be reintroduced into society. And if the priest said, you are cleansed, then they could go about their daily routines, including temple worship. So Jesus tells these 10 leprous men, leprosy still on them, go present yourselves to the priest as though you've already been cleansed. And listen, they went. There's no arguing in this this story. There's no, but hey, do you see the spots? Do you see the issues? Like they obey, they do exactly what Jesus tells them to do. And it says, as they ran off to present themselves to the priest, they're healed, found in verse number 14. Now, one of them who is identified in the text as a Samaritan man, he recognizes that the healing has happened and he runs back to Jesus. He drops at Jesus's feet. He thanks Jesus and he glorifies God. The other nine, they kept on running. Did you know there's no other mention of the other nine after this? In fact, I went to the other gospel accounts. I'm like, it doesn't mention them in the other gospel accounts. There's no mention of them in the other gospel accounts. So Jesus says to the Samaritan in verse 17 and following, were there not 10 cleansed, but the nine, where are they? He's expecting. There's an anticipation when you've been delivered for much, there's gratitude for much. He's anticipating that there's going to be others who come back. And we know Jesus is the son of God. We, we know he's making a point here. He knew that those nine would not come back. But there is an expectation of when you've been delivered for much, there's gratitude. It says, and he said to him, speaking of the Samaritan man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. It's a beautiful story. 
It's a story of Jesus' power over disease. It's a story of Jesus' love for humanity. But it's also a story that touches on some incredible lessons about ingratitude and the importance of gratefulness. 90% of the former lepers failed to return and give thanks. Ingratitude seems to be our default position. Did you know you don't have to teach your child to be ungrateful? But you've got to teach them to have gratitude. Let's go on from that. You need to teach your teenagers to have gratitude. You need to teach grown adults to have gratitude. We, we understand that it takes effort to return. It takes time of reflection to see the blessings of our life. It, it takes genuine thankfulness to express gratitude at a deep level. Now, here's the other part that was interesting to me as I reread the story again. There was no immediate repercussions for ingratitude. Pause there for a moment. You all know I like a little bit of gardening. I learned a long time ago, if there's a garden rake that is out in my yard, I'm going to look at it really carefully to make sure the prongs are not up and I step on the end of that. If you step on the end of that garden rake, you're going to get the handle right between the eyes. Immediate repercussions for doing the wrong thing. You know, there's just some parts of life that the moment you do something wrong, there's immediate consequences that come along with it. In this, there was no immediate consequences for ingratitude. In fact, the nine kept the blessing even when they didn't express gratitude. So I'm, I'm processing this with the Lord. Here's the thing that was in my mind. God desires gratefulness, but he doesn't seem to force it in the moment. There is double grace that's happening in this story. Grace was extended by God to heal the 10 lepers. And grace was extended again to the nine, allowing them to keep the blessing when they failed to return and give thanks. Grace upon grace upon grace. So let's pause there. Are there blessings in your life right now? Are there gifts that God has bestowed in your life right now? Are there answers to prayer that God has given in your life right now that you failed to give him thanks for? If he were to be right here in person and verbally talk to you in this moment, would you recognize that there's been areas that he's continued to bless you with, but whether or not it's because of forgetfulness or because of being in a hurry or because of something else, we just keep moving forward in life, failing to stop and give thanks to God. Now, I want us to take this story into a deeper level. If that's all you get from this morning, you understand there's an importance of gratefulness and there's a problem with ingratitude. We get that from the surface reading of the story. But what a lot of people don't see is that there's actually several stories that are tied together and ingratitude and gratefulness is a thread that comes through each of them. So to get this, we actually need to go back just a little bit. So just prior to this story, the apostles had come to Jesus in chapter 11, verse 5, and they said, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. That sounds like a good request. Sounds biblical. Sounds right. God, increase our faith. 
And if you don't read verses 6 through 10, it might seem as though Jesus heals the 10 lepers in response to their request. In other words, Lord, increase our faith. He sees 10 lepers, heals all 10, and they're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. My faith has been increased. But you got to read verses 6 through 10 to get the rest of the story. He tells the disciples in verse 6, after they make their request, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The disciples asked for more faith, and Jesus' response was, small faith can do amazing things. Small faith can bend the laws of nature as we know them. It, it, it has the ability to, to take a tree and uproot it and plant it somewhere else. I mean, that is the stuff of legend. But listen, it's also the stuff of ego. Jesus redirects the conversation. They're saying, increase our faith. And Jesus is like, before we talk more, let's first talk why. Why do you want bigger faith? If you want bigger faith to do bigger things because you think God will be proud of you, you have confused service with acceptance. Just obey. If you want bigger faith because you want to do bigger things so that others will recognize your accomplishments, that's pride. That's a sinful motivation. Just obey. But when God gives us a task, it doesn't matter if it is big, if it is small, or if it's medium size. We don't serve out of acceptance. We don't serve out of pride. We serve because that's what servants do. They simply obey what the master tells them. This is a good word this morning. The size of our faith has little to do with our level of obedience. Mm, Paul, that's a good word. Thank you, Paul. Here it is again. The size of our faith has little to do with our level of obedience. If you think if God gives you more faith, then you will obey. That is incorrect. You have everything you need as a child of God right now to walk in obedience with what he directs you to do. But here's the opposite side of that. The level of our obedience has a lot to do with our usefulness in the kingdom. All it takes is a little bit of faith and a willingness to obey, and God can use us in huge ways. So in verses 7 through 10, Jesus illustrates this point of obedience and recognition and thanks. And here's how he does it. He talks about a master and a servant. And the servant has been out working all day. And the servant now comes in. And he says, when the servant comes in, the master doesn't say, just kick up your feet and grab something to eat. Relax, enjoy your time. Instead, the master says, go get me something to eat first. And after I've eaten, then you can go have something to eat. Jesus is setting up an important point about the motivation behind their request for more faith. But it also ties into gratefulness in this next story. In verse number nine, he, speaking of the master, does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? In other words, 
when this person does what they were commanded to do, like that's what the, the servant is supposed to do. Our motivation for serving should not be thank yous and recognition and reward. We serve out of obedience and out of the example that has been set by Christ. The, the New Living Translation says in verse number 10, in the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Did you know Jesus just exposed a line of ingratitude that was hiding in their request for more faith? Pride says, God should thank me, he should bless me, he should reward me for my service for him. The bigger the work, the bigger the opportunity, the bigger the example, the more I should be rewarded, the more I should be blessed, the more he should do for me. And listen, sometimes God blesses us because he is gracious and he is kind and he is just that good. But here's the thing, we don't expect it. He doesn't have to do it. This story is one in which it's showing a, a, a relationship between master and servant. It's talking about our identity. In the first story, this is so good. In the first story, God withheld what some expected, recognition and thanks for serving. In the second story, the lepers withheld what God was rightly due, recognition and thanks for blessing. Both have a thread of ingratitude and gratefulness. Both of the stories talk about our position before God. He is the master. We are his servants. If he chooses to bless, if he chooses to honor, if he chooses to give, that is his prerogative. But the moment we say, God, I deserve it, ingratitude is coming in. Pride is coming in. We, we are out of alignment with our proper positioning before God. So at this point, hopefully you can see the connection between the stories. Now let's say, let's just say, all of us struggle at some level with ingratitude. I think that's probably a pretty accurate statement. It's a part of our humanity. But if that's the case, how do we learn to reframe the moment and quickly move towards ingratitude back to gratefulness. Here's just a couple of thoughts. First, remember that no one has everything, but everyone has something. Now we're gonna break this idea down. Ingratitude flourishes when we entertain thoughts of discontentment and comparison. Uh, discontentment is that jealous longing for better things, and it's primarily brought on by comparison. When we see what others have, and when we compare it with what we do have or maybe what we don't have, it's very easy to have discontentment leading towards ingratitude. It, it may be discontentment over a bigger house or a better job or more pay or nicer cars or greater prestige or a stronger body or better looks or nicer friends or a cuter spouse, like whatever it is, if there's opportunity to compare, there's also opportunity for discontentment. Our comparative tendencies should constantly be challenged by 2 Corinthians 10.5. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The moment we begin to recognize 
thoughts of jealousy, covetousness, ingratitude beginning to take root in our heart, the moment it's registering, may it be that the next thing we do is immediately go before God and say, God, I submit my mind to you. Would you take these thoughts captive? Unless you come in right now and grab these thoughts, it will lead to the wrong attitude. It will lead to the wrong actions. It will lead me down the wrong path. So God, I need you at this moment right now to stop my mind from going the wrong direction. And here it is. And help me to remember how you have blessed me. It's not only about stopping the wrong direction. It's about starting the right direction as well. Do you know that's not a fun prayer to pray? Because chances are in the moment, you've got all sorts of reasons as to why you're upset. In the moment... Like there's excuses for our actions. We, we want to justify our discontentment. We want to linger just a little bit longer with our frustrations. But the longer we allow ingratitude to settle into our mind, the harder it will be to thank God for what he has already blessed us with. One way to push back against comparison and discontentment is remember, no one has everything, but everyone has something. Now, I want us to apply that principle with caution, with caution. In fact, I'm going to give you some scenarios, and I need you to just let these scenarios sit until I can bring the caution back up on the other side. Otherwise, you can run off the rails in the wrong direction with this fast. So think about it like this. Again, the statement is, no one has everything, but everyone has something. So maybe a person who's blessed with wealth might struggle in their marriage, They got one piece that you're like, man, that's great. But you don't see this other struggle. Then someone with a strong family may have a job they really dislike. It might be that your friend who is physically healthy may be spiritually destitute. It could be that the guy who has all the talents has nobody to share life with. It could be that the person with incredible fame is also the same person saying, I wish I could live in obscurity. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying figure out what other people don't have so you can be grateful for that. Okay, if you walk away from this saying, Paul, you are absolutely right. That person has a great job, but their marriage stinks. I feel better already. Like, if if that's the way you walk away with this, that is not what I am saying here. The goal is not discover what they don't have. The goal is to remember what we do have. And to recognize sometimes in that moment, we can look out at another person's life and we only focus on the things we think are great, but we don't know everything else that's going on in their life. And if you're focused on everything they have, you're definitely not focused on thanking God for what you have. Thank him for your life. Thank him for opportunity. Thank him for help. Thank him for your mind. Thank him for relationships. Thank him for friends and for church. Thank him if he's blessed you with children. Thank him for salvation. Thank him for educational opportunities. Thank him for jobs. Even if you don't like the job, it's keeping a roof over your head right now. Thank him for opportunity. Thank him if you got any savings at all, you're already ahead of most of the world's population. Thank him for what he has blessed you with. Just as much as you see things that you would like in somebody else's life, there are hundreds of millions of people around the world who would trade places with you in a heartbeat 
if they had an opportunity. Remember, no one has everything, but everyone has something. Here's the next thought on that. Remember that there's no good excuse for ingratitude. There's no good excuse. There's excuses. There's just not a good one for it. I'll have to say, when I was reading this story and preparing for this message, I can't say I was really upset with the nine. And the reason is I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm over here thinking to myself, like, if I were in that place, what would be some possibilities as to why the nine didn't come back? Maybe it was the fact they thought that would be disobedient. Jesus said, go present yourselves to the priest. So maybe they're running along, they see the change that's happened, but maybe they're thinking, if I stop and go back, I'm being disobedient. I don't know what they're thinking in this moment. But then I had to remember the fact that scripture was not written in real time. It's not that Luke was walking along behind Jesus with a notepad and a pencil, recording the events as they occurred. Many times, it's gonna be a couple of decades later that he's writing down eyewitness account of this is what took place along the way. So here's the thing, had some of those nine come back, any of those nine, five months later, five years later, 10 years later, surely that would have influenced the way he would have written this story in. But the absence of that in the story, the fact that Jesus says, were there not 10 who were healed? It helps us to see they didn't go back. Now, it's pretty easy for us to come to reasonable and plausible excuses for why we might have ingratitude. Maybe they got caught up in the moment and they forgot. Goodness knows I get that. I forget stuff all the time. Maybe they were in a situation where they saw they were cleansed and they immediately ran home because a leper at that time was not allowed to be around family and friends and maybe they immediately ran back to the house and they're grateful to be back with family. I understand it, family's important. Maybe they thought of everything that they had missed over the time of being sick and they didn't want to waste a moment, so they just wanted to jump right back into life. We don't know all the specifics, but here's the thing. There's never a good reason for not saying thank you to God for the blessings of our life. Just not a good reason for it. Here's the next one and we close. Remember that depth of gratitude recognizes what you were delivered from and blessed with. Depth of gratitude. When I, when I say depth of gratitude, I, I mean, it's easy for us sometimes to quickly say, thank you. But it's almost like a quick response because maybe our parents taught us to say thank you if somebody does something for you. But in the moment, your mind's not there. You're kind of going through the motions. You're not really thinking about the depth of gratitude. It's, it's almost just a, a quick response. Oh, thank you for that. But here's the thing. Depth of gratitude comes back to the fullness of what God has done. So let's think of what they were delivered from, these 10 lepers. They were delivered from leprosy. Don't let the simplicity of the statement take away from the impact of that statement. Leprosy is still an issue in some parts of the world, even to this very day, but you need some details about what it was like to live with that. 
Uh, leprosy brings numbness and reduced sensation, nerve damage, blisters, rashes over the whole body because of there being bad blood circulation and because there could be open wounds and lack of sensitivity to sores. Many times people's fingers and their toes fall off. People who have leprosy, many times they have spots all over their body, open wounds that are incredibly painful and incredibly stinky. So just think about that. Leprosy at that time was considered to be so contagious that you couldn't associate with the person. You couldn't even touch something that the leper touched. Because of that, they were outside of community. That's the reason that they stood at a distance and called out to Jesus in this. There are still areas where leprosy around the world right now, not only now, but back then, the person who had leprosy was to call out and tell people, unclean, 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 to give them warning so that they didn't get too close. So imagine for just a moment, going from the putrid smell of rotting flesh that is with you everywhere you go, the painful experience of open wounds, the emotional distress of separation from friends and family, the mental drain of having to identify yourself constantly by the very disease that is inflicting your life, the hopelessness of knowing it's not going to get better, it's only going to get worse until I die. And then being healed completely. What were they delivered from? They were delivered from much. What are they blessed with? It wasn't like they were just delivered from those things and then there was nothing on the other side. Instead, they're blessed now with a healthy body, blessed with the opportunity for restored relationship, blessed with the opportunity to rejoin society, blessed with the privileges of re-entering the temple and engaging in worship, blessed with the experience of human touch, the opportunity to dream a better future in front of them. Depth of gratitude recognizes what you have been delivered from and also what you are blessed with. The same is true for all of us. If you're a child of God, your blessings are numerous and they are deep. Numerous and deep. Many of us, in fact, right now, if people's hands went up in this place, many of us could testify that we've been delivered from sickness and disease, delivered from bad relationships, delivered from near tragedies, Delivered from poor decisions. Praise God for deliverance from poor decisions. Now, sometimes you have to face the consequences, but my goodness, I, I think back, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that in that moment you had grace. Delivered from financial ruin. Delivered from life without purpose. Delivered from abusive situations. And that doesn't even include delivered from eternal punishment and future in hell because of our sin. We've been delivered from much, but we've also been blessed with much. And again, it's dependent on the person. Blessed with jobs, blessed with homes, blessed with family, blessed with levels of security, blessed sometimes in strong marriages, blessed that God has met our needs and many times he's even given us our other desires. Blessed with a strong church community, blessed with fantastic friends, blessed with good health, blessed with a sound mind, blessed with educational opportunities, blessed with life and purpose and opportunity. I mean, we've been blessed with money. Oh, by the way, 
and salvation of sins through the death of Jesus and resurrection of him. We've been delivered from much and we have been blessed with much. Our ability to experience deep gratitude is contingent upon our ability to recognize deep blessing. Now go back to the lepers one more time. It would be one thing if they came back and they said, Jesus, thank you. That, that's like bare minimum. But when you think of what they were being delivered from and what they were blessed with, oh, there's a whole lot more creativity they could have brought in. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me of a life-threatening disease of which there was no cure. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me of a disease when it cost me nothing and you could have just kept on walking. Thank you, Jesus, because apart from you, I would have never had an opportunity to work. Apart from you, I would not have good relationships. Apart from you, I had no future. I had no hope. I had no opportunity. There's much that they could be grateful for. Listen, this is a statement God's been burning in my heart. Deep gratitude operates in the details. When you're deeply thankful, God begins to bring details. One after another, here's how I've blessed. This is what I've done. Here's how I've been at work. This is what you miss. He operates and blesses us with details. So what is our response? What is the way that we come out of this text? I, I, I'm gonna give you a couple of pieces to apply what you've heard. Here's the first, that is read some other text on thankfulness and gratitude. I've listed those texts in your notes. They're also on the screen right now. Read other texts on gratitude. What you fill your mind with, you think about. You fill your mind with junk, you're gonna think about junk. You fill your mind with bad news going on in the world, you're gonna think about bad news going on in the world. You fill your mind with text and passages and truths on gratitude and you begin to think about and meditate upon those things. The next, take the time next week to prayerfully create a list of what God has delivered you from and blessed you with. Okay, create a list. Here's, here's one of the most easy ways to do this. Almost everybody at this point has a smartphone or a piece of paper and a pen. Okay, like one or the other. Chances are we, if you don't have one, we can hook you up with a piece of paper and a pen. Okay, here, here's what I would encourage people to do. Begin to make a list. If you got a smartphone, there's probably a note section in there. Make a list of what God has delivered you from and what he has blessed you with. Amen. Did you know the right time to make that list is not when you're in the throes of ingratitude? In the moments of ingratitude, you can't think of anything in your life that's going well. That's why you create the list when things are going well. That's why you create the list when you're sitting alone with God and you're saying, God, would you remind me of the blessings in my life. Begin to write out that list. You will be amazed at dozens and dozens and dozens of pieces that are now on your list. When the enemy begins to work into your life, that's where you go back to your list. This is like one of the most practical things you can do. Everybody makes fun of me because of my list. This is a good list to have. Go back and just say, God, help me to remember what you've done in my life. And God will begin to bring to mind pieces that apart from him illuminating your mind in that moment, you would have forgotten. But if you write them down, you can go back and thank him again and again afterwards. Here's the next one. 
Challenge yourself to find at least one thing you're grateful for each day between now and Christmas. Now, you could do this for the rest of your life. I'd encourage that part as well. I'm just kind of getting you started on the path. Maybe here's the way you start your devotional time each morning. God, would you bring to mind one thing in my day yesterday that I can thank you for today? How would that change our devotional time? Here's the last one. If others have invested in your life, take time to thank them. Take time to go back. If your parents are still alive, thank them for their investment in your life. If there's been Sunday school teachers or mentors or coaches that have poured into your life, take time to thank people. It's good to express gratitude. Gratitude should not be reserved for the holidays. <laughs> for Christians, we have been, and this is, this is where I'm going to end, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin and blessed with forgiveness. We've been delivered from an eternity separated from God and blessed with an eternity in the presence of God. We have been delivered from hell and blessed with heaven. We've been delivered from the tyranny of self and blessed with relationship with Jesus Christ. We have been delivered from lack of purpose and blessed to be able to re-engage our created purpose. We've been delivered from the sting of death and blessed with the hope of life. The list could go on and on and on. There's always something to thank him for. As a child of God, every single bit of that is hinging upon that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He is the one who brings us into a life of deeper, more full blessings than we could ever imagine. I'm gonna ask you if you would to bow with me for just a moment. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment. We're gonna have some of our pastors and pastor's wives that will be making their way towards the front. There's gonna be some of our counselors that'll be making their way towards the front our band, our musicians, our singers, they're making their way towards the front. But, but I'm gonna ask you right now, would you do everything possible to make this, these final few moments just between you and God? Would you ask God to reveal not only areas of ingratitude, but also ask God to, to reveal if there's cycles of ingratitude? It may be that you just forgot a couple of pieces along the way, or it might be that there's cycles in your life that you just don't thank him for extended periods of time or in certain areas. God has done so much for us. The question often comes back to, do we remember, are we grateful, and will we express that gratitude and thankfulness to God? So we're going to have a word of prayer. I'm just going to encourage you, respond as the Spirit of God is prompting and working in you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, may we be those who return to give thanks. May it not be prolonged periods of ingratitude. May there not be processes and cycles and systems of ingratitude. But God, may we just live as grateful people moment by moment, seeing the blessings that you're bestowing, being reminded of what you've delivered us from and, and looking towards what you've blessed us with. Lord, may we 
live in a state of gratitude, we have no reason not to. But Lord, apart from your spirit, bringing that up inside of ours, it's just so easy to get caught in the cycles of life, paying bills, going to work, coming home, in the routines, and we forget all of those ways that you're blessing us every day. Lord, may you instill deep gratefulness in the culture of this church. God will be grateful for what you do. In Jesus' name. If you would at this time stand, there's a final song of invitation. As I do each time, I just encourage people, respond as the Spirit of God prompts you. If you want to know more about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, one of our pastors or pastors wise will be more than happy to talk with you. If there's an area of prayer that we can pray about, there's somebody here who wants to pray with you. May you respond as the Spirit prompts you.